I hate to say it, but summer is drawing to a close. And that means we only have a few days left to panic over nothing and blame Donald Trump. You see, summer is that lovely time of year when government business comes to a halt and the news slows down. So journalists finally have some time in which they can really dig deep into meaningless incidents in order to scare us and make us hate one another and then blame Trump. Remember, remember the whole Trump is a Russian spy thing? Yeah, neither do I. But if you look back at some of your favorite family snapshots, you may catch a picture of two or two of your liberal Aunt Cecile watching CNN and muttering, oh my God, the Russians hacked our elections. And even though I don't even know what that means, and even though I, if I took the time to do a little research, I discover that nothing even remotely like that ever happened, I'm in a total panic about it. I'm sure that Donald Trump is in league with Vladimir Putin, whoever he is, and now our country's in thrall to Russia like Keith Olbermann says, whoever he is. Ah, yes, panicking over Russia. Those were some days of summer fun, weren't they? There were demands that Trump should be impeached for some reason, and serious-looking commentators claiming that even though nobody was hacked and none of the votes were affected, we should all be very concerned because something, something, something. And during all that panic over absolutely nothing, the Justice Department got conned into appointing a special counsel who is sure to get to the bottom of who didn't hack anything and who exactly is responsible for the fact that the vote was accurate. Good times, my friend, good times. It's too bad autumn's on the way, and there'll be real news taking place, and we'll just be too busy to blame Trump for something that never happened, which he wasn't involved in anyway. But who will ever forget our fond summer memories of Charlottesville, when somehow the media gulled us into panicking over the fact that about 17 of the 323 million people in our country are white supremacist dirtbags who lure you in with tiki torches and then won't even serve you a poo-poo platter. I can't even remember how they got us to think that Nazis and fascist leftists punching each other and killing people was somehow Donald Trump's fault, but it sure was a swell old time, wasn't it? I hate to think that come September, we'll have to leave this sort of nonsensical fun behind and get back down to the business of reading and thinking about things that actually affect our lives as a nation. But you know, even though these lazy, hazy, crazy, panicking, crazy, stupid, empty, meaningless, crazy, lazy days of summer will be over, you can be sure that there'll still be stupid stuff to send us into a frenzy of hating one another and blaming Trump. All you'll have to do is turn on CNN or read the New York Times, and it'll be just like summer never ended. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Claven, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. Life is tickety-boo, birds are winging, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped-ipsy-topsy, the world is zippity-zing, it's a wonderful day, hooray, hooray, it makes me want to sing. Oh, hurrah, hooray, oh, hooray, hooray. Well, that was a Clavenless weekend for the ages. It was apocalyptic. <laughs> I mean, it was like, you know, you know that things are bad when uh, Trump's pardon of Joe Arpaio was like the second news story. I mean, this thing in Texas, we are thinking about you guys in, in Houston, it, the flooding. It really is. Uh, it's terrible, terrible stuff. And uh, we're thinking about you and praying, about, praying for you. 
Uh, and Michael Knowles will be here to join us, to, will join us to talk about oh, Berkeley okay. and that anti-fa violence, the Antifa, now we're supposed to call them Antifa. It's a little classier when you're being a fascist, beating people up with a stick. It's a little more, you know, it's nicer to be called Antifa. What is it? Anti it's Antifa, Antifa instead of Antifa, because they're not Antifa, they're Fa, so they're, I guess Antifa is better. So Knowles will come on and talk about that. Everything is moving very quickly, which is why which is why when you have to stop everything you're doing and go to the post office, it feels like you're going back into the past. I mean, everything moves so fast now that like if suddenly if you have to ma actually mail something, it's like, Ma, hook up the horses to the wagon. We're going to go down to the post office and stand online and maybe they'll give us some stamps and maybe it'll even be open. You don't have to do that anymore. Just go on stamps.com. It's the 21st century answer to what you do when you want to mail something. Just put it in your computer. It prints it out. It's so easy, so convenient. You, buy, you can buy and print official U.S. postage for any letter, any package, any class of mail using your own computer. And printerstamps.com brings all the services of the U.S. Postal Service right to your fingertips, and it's easy. They'll send you a digital scale. It automatically calculates exact postage. Stamps.com will even help you decide the best class of mail based on your needs. Right now, you can enjoy the Stamps.com service with a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus postage and a digital scale without long-term commitments. Go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the home page, and type in Clavin. <laughs> Stamps.com and enter Clavin. You'll never have to hook up the horses to the wagon and go to the post office again. <laughs> All right. All right. You know, there's never, there's never too much we can say about a hurricane. I mean, the only thing is, of course, there's a lot of toxic ma masculinity out there of guys rescuing people. And uh, it's, it's always the only thing to remember is you do see these pictures and I don't want to sentimentalize it, but it is true. These are people of all colors who are in trouble and they're people of all colors who are going out there to help them. That's the real story that's actually happening day after day after day in America. That is what America is. Fox News said it takes, what do you say? It takes a catastrophe to bring us back together. No, it doesn't. It just turn, takes turning off the news. You know, it just takes turning off CNN and suddenly you realize we don't hate each other. That is not what's going on. You know, which is a good reason I want to start with this uh, video that was taken of James Mattis, the Secretary of Defense. He was touring some overseas bases, talking to the military, you know, getting out there and greeting the guys. And they, I don't know exactly where this was. He was in Jordan. He was in Turkey. He was in a bunch of places. But I've been to, you know, places like this. I was in Afghanistan and places like this. And the guys are out there and they are people, same thing. All different colors, all different places, different politics. You know, people always think that the military is conservative. Maybe it's more conservative than the population. I don't know. But the people I met, you know, Democrats, Republicans, they're all out there serving the country. And and he gave them a talk about this, about the difference between the collaboration and togetherness that you find in the military where you're working for a mission and our country, which unemployment is non-existent. Racism, let's face it, institutional racism is gone. Racism, in fact, is nothing like what it used to be ever. It's nothing close. Uh, you know, we're rich. We're basically at peace, even though we're fighting these small kind of imperial type wars, empire type wars in the, in the distance. You know, the country is actually okay. And it's only... Uh, it's only the people who are fighting with each other. And he talks about this a little bit. This is James Mattis talking to the troops. But believe me, I know you're far from home, every one of you. I know you could all be going to college, you young people, or you could be back on the block 
uh, just uh, grateful. The only way, the only way this great big experiment you call you and I call America is going to survive is if we got uh, tough hombres like you. And uh, you remember, some of you are too young, Corporal Walton, but on 9/11, we racked up against an enemy that thought if he hurt us, he could scare us. But we don't freaking scare. That's the bottom line. And uh, we'll go out here, we'll fight alongside our, our friends and allies, uh, and we're going to keep right on fighting until they're sick of us and leave us alone. And you're buying time, you're a great example for our country right now. It's got some problems, you know it and I know it. It's got problems that we won't, we don't have in the military. And you just you just hold the line, my fine young soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines. Oh, you just hold the line until our country gets back to understanding and respecting each other and showing it, of being friendly to one another, you know, that Americans owe to one another. We're so doggone lucky to be Americans. And we got two powers, power of inspiration, and we'll get the power of inspiration back. We got the power of intimidation, and that's you if someone wants to screw with our families and our country or our allies, okay? So thanks so much for being out here. I, you completely took me by surprise. I'm off in La La Land yesterday. <laughs> so uh, that's good. Keep the old guys like me guessing. The only reason I came back off, off of, I flunked retirement, okay? <laughs> It's a very moving uh, talking about the fact that they are holding the line while we get things together. They're keeping the enemy at bay while we learn uh, not to be enemies among ourselves. And we're divided at every level. I mean, obviously, the left and right are divided. We're going to bring on Knowles, Michael Knowles uh, from the Michael Knowles Show to talk about uh, that, what's happening in Berkeley and the, just the uh, ferocious attempt of the far left to, to shut down the right. Uh, Knowles, by the way, will come on after we leave Facebook and YouTube. So uh, you will have to come over to thedailywire.com and listen to it. If you want to watch the whole thing, you subscribe. It's a lousy 10 bucks a month. I mean, come on. So 10 bucks a month, you can watch the whole show. And if you subscribe for the year, it's 100 bucks for the whole year. And you get the leftist tears tumbler, my friend. Come on. It keeps your leftist tears hot. It keeps them cold. It keeps them stocked because it refills automatically every time Donald Trump makes a speech. So you'll want to do that. But, you know, we're, we're, we're divided at every level. So there's the right and the left. But then, you know, there's Trump and basically the Republican Party are at odds. So the Republican Party is divided between the Trump supporters and the people who are not so sure of Trump and even some who don't like it. And, uh, you know, there's all there's divisions in the administration where the Bannon people have been are being forced out. And we don't really know, like, are these are the people who are remaining? Are they Democrats like Ivanka? You know, is that going to be what the Trump administration morphs into? So we saw all of this with, uh, you know, the pardon of Joe Arpaio went on. And like I said, this would be the, this would be the big story. I mean, this would be the screaming, yelling story. Uh, and Arpaio, obviously the sheriff who was in Arizona, who was very, very tough on illegal immigrants and was stopping people if they looked like they were illegal immigrants. And he was accused of racial profiling. He was accused of brutality in his prisons. He had a he had so many people. He actually had a tent prison at one point. He dressed people up in pink. Wasn't that one of the things he did? Uh, and, and well, here, let's just listen. He was on uh, Hannity moments after his accusation. The thing that was, he was a big, big Trump ally. He supported Trump all the way, still supports him, and supported Trump when he was doing that nonsense about the birtherism, you know, where was uh, where was Obama born, which I saw differently than everybody else. Everybody leapt to call that racist, which I never I never thought it was racist. I, I thought that was two trolls 
fighting. It was the Obama troll. Obama was a great, great troll. He drove the right crazy. I mean, you have to give credit where credit is due. Obama drove us crazy, and he knew he was doing it, and he knew how to do it, and he knew how to set us off. And Trump just called his bluff. He went after him and said, basically, you've been trolling us by not showing us this thing. I don't believe you. I don't believe you're actually you're actually born an American. Everybody said racist, 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 which was the knee-jerk uh, reaction to the left to any criticism of Barack Obama, but I just thought it was troll versus troll. Remember Mad Magazine used to have spy versus spy. This was troll versus troll. And Arpeo supported Trump in that craziness, and here he is uh, celebrating his, his pardon. It's great. Uh, I love that president. Uh, he supports law enforcement. And I'm very humble. If you recall, two uh, years ago, I supported him, and I said publicly recently, pardon or no pardon, I will be with him to the end. And I'm going to have a news conference early next week and get to the bottom of this and show the abuse of the judicial system and politics. I'm not going down without trying to defend myself uh, to all those uh, people that don't uh, like what I've uh, done. So. The hurricane forced a lot of this to second place, but of course everybody who has any kind of political um, ambitions for the presidency next time out immediately rushed forward to either condemn or praise it. Joe Biden, who still is living under the delusion that someday somebody might be foolish enough to vote for him for president, <laughs> besides somebody who's related to him, uh, wrote this big article of how we're fighting over the soul of the country and this just shows what a racist Trump is. Kasich. Ohio, the Ohio governor, uh, John Kasich, he is always out there thinking he's got, he is another guy. I mean, that, he just stayed in those primaries forever because he just can't get over the daydream that somebody's going to elect this guy president. And he went out and attacked uh, Trump for this pardon. I actually have the power of pardoning in my state. We do clemencies over time, but we make sure that people did proper restitution. I wouldn't have done it this way. Uh, it, and it, it's not, it's, it is absolutely should be out of bounds for somebody to use that as some sort of a political wedge. It appears as though that's what it, what it was. Uh, it's not the way I operate here with the power to be able to give people a second chance. Uh, but the president has that power. I don't agree with what he did. It's not the way I operate. I can't be any more, you know, any more loud in what I have to say than to tell you what I do because my actions reflect the way I feel. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what I think about this in a minute, but I want to let all the different sides speak. John McCain, Jeff Flake, the senators from Arizona, they went after Trump, too. McCain said the president has the authority to make this pardon, but doing so at this time undermines his claim for the respect of rule of law, as Mr. Opio has shown no remorse for his actions. Just, just to be clear, he was ordered by a federal court to stop um, basically targeting Hispanic people. I think that that would be the best way to say it. He told them he was doing it, but he didn't. He continued his policies, and they held him in contempt of court. So Steve King, a big, big, strong border advocate, he went out and he attacked Flake and McCain. He struck back, Congressman Steve King struck back against Flake and McCain. Well, I would think I'd probably spend more time with Joe Arpaio than either one of them. Um, but, um, you know, these, they have been essentially for open borders. They don't want to see our immigration laws enforced. They don't want to build a wall. They don't want to secure the border. They want amnesty. They've been for amnesty for all of their political lives. And so you often see people take a position that's consistent with what they hope gets accomplished with regard to the policies that they favor rather than an objective look. 
And uh, I just I, I, I just watched this political persecution take place under the Obama administration. And when they pulled the 287G program from Maricopa County, at that time it was conclusive to me that it was that it was an effort to prohibit him from enforcing the law, and they wanted to punish Joe Arpaio uh, because they wanted to open borders. So what King says there is basically true, that people, you know, ascribe qualities to these guys according to their belief system. So if you believe in strong borders, then you were going to think that Orpeo is a, bad, a good guy. If you believe in open borders like Flake and McCain, you're going to believe he's a bad guy. Here's what I think. I think I believe in, in strong borders very much. I still think he's a bad guy. I think he beat people up. I think people were mistreated in his prisons. I think once a guy is uh, in prison, uh, he is under control and you have no right to make his life hell, even if you hate him, uh, dressing people up, humiliating them. Uh, you know, it, it's like that's – I don't want to say it's un-American. I think it's inhuman. I think it's wrong. You know, I, and I don't think that we have to celebrate that even as we fight for strong borders. The problem is, however, the policy of the federal government toward our borders under Obama and even under George W. Bush was insane. It was insane. You cannot have open borders, or if you're going to have open borders, make it a law. We have no borders. Our borders are open. Anyone can come in. You cannot say that it's illegal to come across our borders, but if you do it, welcome. You know, that, that's, that's nuts. And the thing about this is this has never been a big issue for me. I was never the guy who stood up and cheered when he said I'm going to build – when Trump said I'm going to build a wall. It's not the point. It's an – it's a – a rule of law question. Once the rule of law collapses, once the federal government says, oh, we, we're not obeying the law, we're not going to enforce the law, then a guy like Arpaio naturally becomes a hero. You know, you think back, remember uh, Joe the Plumber, Obama, candidate Obama is out there, and Joe the Plumber says, what's with this, you know, uh, spread the wealth, socialism stuff, basically, and Obama embarrassed himself by revealing that, in fact, he was a socialist, he was a proto-socialist, and the press went after the guy who asked the question. It was insane. It was horrible. It was just an abuse of the power of the press. It's why the press has no credibility. It's why we hate them. It's why watching Trump beat them up in Phoenix the other day was such a pleasure. It's because they stink that badly. That doesn't make Joe the plumber, a wise man. It doesn't make him worth hiring to do commentary. He was just a guy. You know, he had the right to say what he said. I'm not saying he's a bad guy or a good guy. I'm just saying to make him into some kind of icon because the press mistreated him is, is what we're always doing. We're always reacting. We're always saying, oh, if they hate him, he must be great. Oh, if he agrees with us, he must be great. It's entirely possible for people to agree with us, you know, for us to say, like, it's nuts not to enforce the border. That's what a country is. A country is its border. And for the guy who enforces them to still be a bad guy. I, okay, I, you know, I'm going to break. I'm going to talk about uh, Sebastian Gorka, who was the other big story because he left the administration. These things are just getting blown away by the hurricane. Uh, but we'll talk about him in a minute. But first, I have to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube. And let me say before you go. To those of you who do subscribe to The Daily Wire, we so appreciate it. You know, it really does make this possible. The, everything we do, you know, we don't just come in here. Sometimes, like, for instance, every now and again, we pay Austin to do this. Not often, but no. I mean, come on. I mean, look what you're doing. You know? <laughs> no, and, and as well, it should not be. I mean, look what you're doing. But, but you know, we, we actually, this is a major operation. It is a, a, a capitalist operation. We do it uh, for profit for the people who invest to get their money back. And we appreciate the fact that when... When you subscribe, you help that along. I mean, it's part of it's part of just you know we we give you benefits. We give you if you subscribe for a year the leftist tears 
Tumblr. So we're not kidding around when I say we give you benefits. I mean, this is like the closest thing we can give you to giving you the sword and the stone, and we give you the leftist tears Tumblr. So please subscribe. If you're not doing it, if, if you uh, want to hear the rest of the show, come on over to thedailywire.com. All right. So Sebastian Gorka, you know, obviously uh, Sebastian Gorka was on our show and he is a friend of the show. He's a fan of the show and he's contacted me a couple of times. And so one of the things that happened was Gorka was absolutely lynched as a pro-Nazi because he wore a ribbon from a he's you know he's of Hungarian descent and he wore a medal from what was called the Vitize Rend. And everybody said, oh, this is a pro-Nazi organization. Well, what it was was a Hungarian during – before the war, World War II, and during the war, it was a Hungarian military order. It was people being celebrated for their service to the country. Once the Germans – you know, all this stuff about blaming all the other countries. Of course, there were anti-Semites throughout Europe, but the death – the Holocaust followed the Germans. The Holocaust followed the Germans. There's a book called The War Against the Jews uh, that this describes in very, very close uh, rec recorded terms the data showing that where the Germans went, that's where the Jews were persecuted. They started calling Gorka a proven anti-Semite, a Nazi, and all this. And because he was a fan of the show and because he was you know, occasionally saying a, a good word to me on Facebook, I thought I better f figure out who this guy is and do some research because I don't want to be friendly to a, a Nazi. It's total bunk. It's complete garbage. Gorka at one point said, I dare anybody, anybody to find a single anti-Semitic sentence I've ever written. No one has ever found it. The reason is his father was in that order. His father was anti-Nazi, fought the Nazis, and then was tortured by the communists. And sometimes as he engages in this fight, which for him, a lot of it is about uh, radical Islamist extremism and trying to stop these people from killing people. The same kind of, uh, uh, these guys are the same kind of tyrants as the communists, the same kind of tyrants as the Nazis. And in his fight against them, he honors his father by wearing that medal and they tagged him for it. It was just a, a lynching. But he says that be, that his it's it's very unclear whether he was forced out or resigned. He says he resigned. I believe him, you know. But but there may have been a sort of in also that uh, John Kelly, the chief of staff, pulled his security clearance, and that he may just have said, well, you know, you can't fire me. I quit basically. So it may have been something in between. But he says this is the MAGA camp, the Make America Great camp, that was represented and led by Steve Bannon being forced out. And there is some talk that uh, Sebastian is going to go over to. Breitbart Media, which Bannon is now running again, and he says that that MAGA, the MAGA policy is on the ropes in the White House. He said, I'm going to fix the economy, build the wall, and defeat ISIS. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, that's MAGA. That's what making America great again really means. Uh, and unfortunately, um, I, I don't want to go into the, you know, palace intrigue stuff. Mm -hmm. We've had too much of that. But the fact is the forces of MAGA, the make America great again faces, the policy people like Steve uh, Bannon, um, the, my old boss inside the White House, uh, have been systematically undermined, uh, many of them fired uh, from the NSC. Mm -hmm. uh, and I realize after the president's speech this week on Afghanistan that the, he is not being well served. That speech mm -hmm. was written uh, uh, by people for the president in direct contravention mm -hmm. of everything that we voted for on November the 8th. 
Uh, it is not clear why we're in Afghanistan. It doesn't explain why we're going to continue uh, to potentially expend American lives and, and American money in that nation. And the most important thing, Matt, um, it didn't mention once, once, the phrase radical Islam or radical Islamic terrorism. So divisions at every level, divisions in the administration itself, this is now going to become, the Breitbart sites are now going to become a, you know, kind of front for that, for that uh, agenda that they wanted to push, that they feel has been pushed out of the administration. There's divisions between Trump and, um, you know, and the legislature, the GOP legislature, divisions obviously between left and right, all this stuff happening in the midst of what is essentially prosperity, peace and prosperity. So it's really, it really is a spiritual problem. And I've said this before, I believe that Barack Obama and Donald Trump are the end of something. You know, uh, Jeremy Boring, who's the God King of the Daily Wire, gave a speech recently. Uh, we have to call him the God King because he gets upset if we don't. And, yeah. You know, it's, 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 it's ugly. It gets ugly. But um, he, he gave a speech re recently in, in Houston, I think it was, it was in Texas somewhere, uh, maybe Dallas. Anyway, he gave a speech and he said that what really happened was the baby boomers finally released their grip on power and allowed essentially the child of baby boomers, Barack Obama, to take power. And they realized, the baby boomers, that they had done a bad job raising their children. Obama had never earned anything. He'd never learned anything. He thought he knew stuff, but all he knew was left-wing palaver. And he thought it was true, and he didn't know what he didn't know. And so we've seized it. The baby boomers have seized it back with Trump and Hillary basically saying, no, no, we've raised these terrible children, but eventually we're going to have to let go. And what's happening now is we're at the end of something that, as I've said before, the gravity has gone from the room. The furniture is floating around everywhere and nobody knows where it's going to land and that is causing all these fights even in the midst of prosperity let's bring in Knowles though to talk about Berkeley because this is really something else Knowles what a Clavenless weekend that was oh, that was, was brutal was it not Michael Knowles the uh, host of the Michael Knowles show which uh, had a Spencer Claven no relation oh I think he's related to Richard Spencer <laughs> that's with a name similar that's name a, that's a, at least he says there's no relation I, I, I'm not sure <laughs> uh, and also we are we you and I are working around the clock to to cure the Clavenless weekend. This has been requested for years now, and I think we've got it. We'll finally I, I think have the a, way to avoid the pitfalls and catastrophes of the Clavenless weekend. We have had a breakthrough. We are recording a podcast of my new novel, Another Kingdom, uh, and you are perform. I wrote it. You're performing it. You play this kind of Hollywood guy, right? So well, it's a story of my life. It's this failed Hollywood guy <laughs> who, you know, can't catch a break. And, you know, ever since my blank book. I, I think this is the last role I'll ever get in Hollywood, so we really got to make this one count. <laughs> this is an important role for you. This is, But, but you're actually, I mean, I, I hate to say this on air, and if, if anyone repeats it, I'll kill them, but you are actually a very fine actor. I've, I've, seen, you, you I've seen you play Chekhov, and you're doing a great job on this. And basically, this guy is a, a nobody, and one day he walks through a door and finds himself in a not only in another kingdom, this kind of fantasy kingdom filled with ogres and ghouls and all this, but he's also accused of murder. He's accused. He finds himself on trial for murder. He, there, it's a world with ogres and rat-faced ladies and British accents and kings and queens. <laughs> and, and he's also this schlub from Hollywood. You know, So in this other world, when he goes through the other portal, he's just a reader at a studio in Hollywood. And the question, and I can really attest to the seriousness of this question living here, 
is which world is more surreal. Which world? <laughs> That's true. It's, it's, it's coming back to Hollywood, really coming back to reality. All right, let's talk about Berkeley. I mean, this is, was there any, what, what exactly, well, you tell it. What, what happened over the weekend? So there were two, these are being conflated, but there were two marches and, and protests that had been planned by right-wingers. There, the first one on Saturday in San Francisco was called Patriot Prayer. You Patriot might, Prayer. Oh, that's very threatening. Okay. Yeah, yeah, you might as well call it like the Girl Scout Bake Sale protest. <laughs> it's as unobjectionable as you can get. And then the other event at Berkeley the, on Sunday should have been as unobjectionable, and it said no Marxism in America. No to Marxism in America. Now, Antifa, the anti-fascists that have been right. around since the 80s, and they're ironically anti-fascists because they themselves are fascists. Fascists, right, yeah. They s sent death threats. I mean, they sent these very violent threats to the organizers, to everybody in the neighborhood, to the police. And so not only on Saturday did the right-wingers cancel their event, but on Sunday, too. So there was officially no right-wing protest okay, so either Saturday was, or Sunday. Got it. Nothing was going There were only left-wingers in this party. That's right. Yeah. And now some stragglers, basically nobody showed up on Saturday. And nevertheless, there were big left-wing organizers there. But it didn't turn that violent. Sunday in Berkeley... They were not so lucky. There were a handful of right-wingers who showed up, even knowing the event was canceled. They just wanted to engage the counter-protesters, see what was going on. And uh, so the head of the Saturday protest, the Patriot Prayer, Joey Gibson, found himself surrounded by these guys, oh. pepper sprayed immediately. Oh. He actually had to run to the cops. Some, those cops finally protected him there. Th this is what these guys were chanting. I think we have it on clip 13. USA at all. Wow. <laughs> at wow. least these guys are honest. Yeah, they're really, that's true. They're right out there. They're Mainstream no Democrats, they kind of gussy it up in nice language when they <laughs> want to erase the USA, but yeah. these guys are very straightforward. And th so the question was, where were the cops? Where, where were, were the, the cops? cops here? Uh, we know in Charlottesville, there were reports that the cops stood down, that they didn't do as much as they could have. Here, they admitted to it. Wow. The, the head of the Berkeley police, Andrew Greenwood, said that the police made a strategic decision to allow the anarchists to enter the park. What was the strategy? Well, the strategy was that uh, they would beat up all the right-wingers so, <laughs> well, so then, no, that Google wouldn't have I mean, to. Are the Berkeley police cowards or collaborators? I that, mean, that, that's a real question. Yeah. Clearly, there's an order coming from somewhere. It's at least coming from the police chief, and the question is, where else is it coming from? Mm -hmm. We know the politics of Berkeley. We know the people who run that town. So there's a real question. Where, where is the desire not to shut these criminals and thugs down coming from? And he, by the way, he, the, the real miracle over the weekend is is that the mainstream media came around and realized maybe it's not the best idea to have these guys in our camp. Well, they have been very, you know, I mean, this really bothers me because if a guy in a white hood, white sheet, burns a cross on a lawn and says, I'm for equality. Do we believe him? No. Why? Because he's wearing a white sheet and burning a cross on a lawn. A guy in a black mask beats up somebody he disagrees with and says, I'm against fascism. Do we believe him? No, because he's wearing a black mask and beats people up. But the press has basically fallen for these and he, guys. The guy, they're literally black shirts, right? Yeah, they're, they're black shirts. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And so, but shockingly, yeah. and by the way, Antifa has been around for a long time. They've been creating trouble very prominently for years now. Okay. And Washington Post ran a headline today, black-clad Antifa members attack 
peaceful right-wing demonstrators in Berkeley. Wow, that's in WAPO. I think it's a sign of the apocalypse, the rapture, <laughs> get, collect your things, hug your wife. A three-headed calf was also born. In the, yeah. wow. uh, New York Magazine had the headline, Antifa beats up Trump supporters, comma, fuels right-wingers. So they had to get their little jab in there. Yeah. But they're being really honest, and they're explaining in their headline why they're upset that Antifa is beating up Trump supporters. Because it, uh, because it's not that they're, they're doing something wrong, it's that they might energize the right. That's exactly right. Yeah. And the New York Times engaged, I mean, the New York Times, which you <laughs> rightly call a former newspaper, yeah. engaged in some of its finest fake news this weekend. <laughs> they, they said in an article about Antifa, quote, Antifa is the backlash to the backlash, a defensive, unbelievable, a defensive response to the growing presence of right-wing extremism. Antifa's been around in the United States since the 80s. Yeah. They, they've been organizing under that name since the 90s. But they've been beating up Trump supporters and right-wingers very publicly for years now, for two years now. Mm. They then go on in the article. See, you know, Trump got in trouble because he said there, is, there are bad people on and both, both sides. sides yeah. We should condemn both sides. He was excoriated for this, particularly by the New York Times. And then in their article, they say, so far, there is a fearful symmetry between the far right and Antifa. So they just mimic. They, they exactly just said the same Trump thing. Said. Exactly. Yeah. Oh, man. I mean, and look, these are they're all the same people. You know, everybody keeps writing to me and saying it's not fair to call the white supremacists right wingers, which I agree with because the people I know, I mean, everybody who believes that racism is is an, a bad like you should not treat people according to their race. Every person who believes that is on the right. right. There, there, are, there are no people on the leftism is racism. Leftism is identity politics. It's racism. It basically loop, uh, lumps people together according to race. So all the non-racists are, are on the right, but but they identify as right. They say they're right. They and voted they say, for Trump. Then they sure. voted for Trump. So I mean, I think we have to like at least. Uh, take an extra moment to kick them down the stairs uh, to make sure that we're kicking them out. They don't get up. They don't get out of the house. I agree entirely. Yeah. And they, they clearly, they identify as right. I suppose we have to take them at their word for, for what it's worth. Right. But it's worth remembering, too, these people obviously share left-wing premises, the, the white identity, right. the racial identity politics. But they are an aberration on the right. They are clearly a break from the mainstream of right-wing thought. And everyone focuses on the violence. The neo-Nazi killed that woman in Charlottesville and ran over 19 more. Right. And the, these lefties, these Antifa, are macing people. They're beating them up. They're sending them to the hospital. But forget the violence. The violence is almost secondary. What's worth pointing out here is that Antifa is the logical conclusion of mainstream left-wing thought. That's, I agree with that. I think that's it's the suppression right. of speech. It's the suppression of free ideas and, and the it's intimidation Google. by coercion. It's Google, basically. Google. That's exactly right. right. Right down the street from Berkeley. Yeah. The, you know, Google, within, within the last three days, has launched the crackdown on right-wing right-wingers on YouTube is this is a real thing this is a real thing happening yeah. they I, I met with them about two months ago I went out there it was me Crowder uh, some Breitbart guys uh, Heritage Foundation a lot of right-wingers went to this meeting and they told us to our face that this would happen the way that they described it was that there were videos of ISIS on YouTube and so they wanted to stop it as a recruiting tool and they were going to work with groups to uh, redirect people from those videos. We now know they're working with the ADL. They're working with the Southern Poverty Law Center, oh, the most yeah. absolutely hack-filled uh, left-wing organization in in activism, and they are going to redirect people. So you search for a video 
let's say you search for, uh, I don't know, the Michael Knowles Show, for instance, or <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. some Daily Wire video, and they theoretically could redirect you to a left-wing video that would debunk the claims made in the extremist one. Really? So they, wait, so you, you will search for one thing, but they will give you what they want you to know. And, and the question so is... So Orwellian. So they're going to make it very... They've already made it difficult to find right-wing videos. Yeah. But uh, Kent Walker, Google's general counsel, said that what they're going to do is try to get rid of, quote, inflammatory religious or supremacist content. Now the question is, what's the religion? <laughs> what's the content? Yeah, what do we course. mean by supremacism? So for videos that meet that criteria, they, or those criteria rather, they won't be able to run ads or have comments posted. They won't appear in the recommended lists that come up on the side when you watch a, a YouTube video and kind of leads you down that YouTube rabbit hole. There will be a warning screen that appears before the video plays and you won't be able to play the video in Im embedded websites. So if the video is embedded on anywhere else, on Twitter or on your own website, you won't be able to play it. Now, which religion, which uh, supremacist content are we talking about? Yeah. All you need to know is that Dennis Prager's video series on the Ten Commandments has been restricted by YouTube. That is amazing. That is, I mean, Jeff Sessions should respond to this with a, a an anti-monopoly suit. He should really go. It after really, that, I'm so it, hesitant to use the force yeah, of the government that yeah, way. Yeah. But there, there isn't any other YouTube, but, and the, clearly, that's right. They've gone to war with conservatives here. I mean, these guys at, at this level, at this level, this is not business. This is a business with the power of government. I mean, there is nothing wrong. There's there's never anything wrong. The whole point of uh, government is to stop the mighty from hurting the small. You know, that's the right. whole that's their whole role. That's all they have to do. If they can just do that and defend the country, which is the same thing, they, they've done their job. And I think Google is way, way out of line. And I wish anybody could be hearing this right now because obviously, yeah, this obviously video is right. be blocked. Right. So forever. now that's right. Now now when you search for me, you'll get my mother. You know? <laughs> Don't listen to that, Barry. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Michael Knowles, the host of the excellent Michael Knowles show and uh, our new podcast coming in September, I hope, Another Kingdom. Another Kingdom. All right, it's good to see you, Mike. See you, Drew. All right, All right it's time for our crappy culture. My favorite part of these things, you know, I don't even want to, I just, I just like the, I just like the graphics, you know. <laughs> um, so, you know, talking about the, the racial divisions in our country and, and how many of them are real and how many of them are just stuff that the, uh, you know, that the news media gins up and, and why the news media gins up. And we're going to talk about that. Chanel Helm, who uh, is the organizer, one of the big organizers of Black Lives Matter in Kentucky, has issued on Facebook uh, a decree of what she wants uh, white people to do what she thinks ten demands that she has of white people. I'm just I'm not going to read them all, but I think that uh, this is it really speaks to something in the in the Black Lives Matter movement and in Black culture. You know, let me let me start this before I get to this. I've been watching uh, kind of bit by bit this. Uh, Showtime video, a Showtime documentary on Whitney Houston. The reason I'm watching this is because when Whitney Houston appeared in the scene back in the 80s, I, I had never seen a woman so beautiful. I mean, I thought that she was the most beautiful woman I had ever seen. She must have been like 19, 20 years old, and I was much younger. And I and I uh, and she had this incredible instrument of a voice. I never liked her music much; it was very pop for me. But she was just unbelievable. And I remember standing in a gym in a hotel in Atlanta. And watching her on trial, on at some kind of court case where her boyfriend or husband had beaten her up yet again, and she was obviously a drugged out, uh, very um, you know, very damaged person. And I just remember thinking, like, 
what does it take to make people happy? I mean, here she is beautiful. She has a talent that came right from God, you know, just delivered right from God. She had all the success in the world. She broke every record, every, you know, she had that, that hit movie, The Bodyguard, and still is a miserable person who basically ended up killing herself with drugs. And I was watching this documentary, and some of these people were blaming it on the fact that they tried to make her white when she was black, and she got, she, her feelings were hurt because she felt the black community rejected her. And I was just thinking, well, first of all, all of that is garbage. Once you start taking drugs, you're dead. I mean, that's that's basically it. She was taking drugs when she arrived on the music scene. Once you're in the music scene, the drugs will kill you. You know, so she was already on that. But I was just thinking about this. I was thinking, like, you know, does she have just because she comes from Newark, does she have to sing soul music? I mean, is that the way? Is that the way it is now? I mean, is it like basically you can't have a personality that appeals to a wider audience and all this stuff? And this division that is, this, you know. So much of this seems to us white people now to be generated from the black community. So here is Chanel Helm of Black Lives Matter. Her demands, white people, if you don't have any descendants, will your property to a black or brown family, preferably one that lives in generational poverty? Two, white people, if you're inheriting property you intend to sell upon acceptance, give it to a black or brown family. You're bound to make that money in some other white privileged way because, you know, it's just just people throw money at me walking down the street. They say, white man, take, take my money. You're a white man. Uh, white people, if you can afford to downsize, give up the home you own to a black or brown family, preferably a family from generational poverty. White, here's my favorite one. White people, especially white women, because this is your specialty, nosy Jenny and meddling Kathy, get a racist fired. Y'all know what what the F they be saying. You are complicit when you ignore them. Get your boss fired because they racist too. On and on and on. Just the, all these um, what racial slurs. They're racial slurs. I mean, that's what that is. That's a, it's a racial slur, you know, that people are racist. Just be. And, and we sit there and we say, well, you know, I, I'm not bothering you. I don't feel that way. I would hire, you know, we'd hire, I, we would like you, you know, and all this stuff. But how can we react to this? And all that racism that you were fighting in the past is gone. Shelby Steele, one of the most brilliant men in the country and a guy who just doesn't write enough as far as I'm concerned. Every now and again, he has a piece in the Wall Street Journal. He wrote a piece saying, will the left ever let go of, of this stuff? And he says, he it begins, is America racist? It used to be that racism meant the actual enforcement of bigotry, the routine implementation of racial inequality everywhere in public and private life. Racism was a tyranny and an oppression that dehumanized, animalized the other. It was a social malignancy, yet it carried the authority of natural laws if God himself had dispassionately ordained it. Today, Americans know that active racism is no longer the greatest barrier to black and minority advancement. Since the 1960s, other pathologies even if originally generated by racism, have supplanted it. White racism did not shoot more than 4,000 people last year in Chicago. To the contrary, America for decades now, with much genuine remorse, has been recoiling from the practice of racism and has gained a firm intolerance for what it once indulged. But, he goes on to say, Ameri this is Shelby Steele, one of the really top thinkers in the country, but Americans don't really trust the truth of this. It sounds too self-exonerating. Talk of structural and systemic racism conditions people to think of it as inexorable, predestined. So we want redemption, he says. Because we don't trust that America has been cleansed of this sin, we want redemption. He says, redemption, paying off the nation's sins, became the moral imperative of a new political and cultural liberalism. And that's what this woman is talking about. 
give up your property. I mean, you work so hard, all of us, we work so hard to have our family in a nice house, to give our, our kids good schooling, to give them a chance in life. And she wants us to turn around and give this up because, you know, boo-hoo, you know, something, 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 something. You know, and, and what he says, what Shelby Seal says is she essentially and the left are selling innocence. They're telling you that they will redeem your sin if you agree with them. America's moral fall in the 60s made innocence of the past an obsession. Thus, liberalism invited people to internalize innocence to become synonymous with it, even to fight for it as they would for an ideology. But to be innocent, there must be an evil from which to be free. The liberal identity must have racism, lest it lose innocence and the power it conveys. The great problem for conservatives is that they lack the moral glibness to compete with liberalism's innocence. But today there are signs of what I have called race fatigue. People are becoming openly cynical toward the left's moral muscling with racism. Add to this liberalism's monumental failure to come even close to realizing any of its beautiful ideals. As idealisms was the left political, left's political edge, realism, shouldn't realism be the right's reality is the informing vision and no more wrestling with innocence. Let me just end by playing this one piece that was on NPR. This is a guy named William Weaver, who is now the chief of surgery at a facility in North Carolina. William Weaver, if you can't see him, he's a black guy. And he went, was sent to school in Tennessee as a sophomore to integrate this, this school. He was one of the first black kids into this school. Listen to his story. Uh, you know, he's now an older man. Listen to the story of what it was like to integrate a school in Tennessee. As soon as we got into the school, the principal was calling the roll. He said, Bill Weaver. And I said, my name is William. And he said, oh, you're a smart N-word. I'd been in school maybe 30 minutes and he suspended me. I don't remember a day that a teacher did not tell me that I didn't belong. We'd have a test and they'd stand over me and then just snatch the paper out from us at time's up. The first report card, I got all Fs, including phys ed. So I've gone from being a good student to starting to think, well, maybe I don't belong. Maybe I am dumb. So, so think about this in real terms for just a minute. This, he, he's a sophomore, so he's 15 years old. He's a 15-year-old child in a school. The teacher calling him the N-word, teachers standing over him, snatching his, you know, what is that? It's psychosis. It's madness. That's some, that is psychopathology, but it doesn't look like psychopathology. It doesn't look like the guy is psycho because he's living in a racist society. He's living in a society where it made sense to a grown-up, a teacher, to call a 15-year-old those names and try to prevent him from gaining an education. That made sense to those people because they were living in a psycho society, just like these people who are uh, teaching their children to be transgender are living in a psychopathology that surrounds them, and so they are being psycho. The thing about this kind of thing, and we saw this in the generation of Jews after the Holocaust, is it creates trauma. It traumatizes people and it can traumatize an entire people just like psychosis can make an entire group of people psychotic. I mean, you go to Brooklyn, New York now and talk to people about transgenderism, they say words come out of their mouth that are nuts, you know? And the same thing was true about these, in, in this school where all these teachers were trying to prevent this child from getting the education that turned him into a doctor. Evil, the way evil works is it turns its victims into itself. Child abusers, 
children who are abused, innocent children who are abused, grow up oftentimes and become child abusers. Let me put that in a more uh, exact way. Most child abusers were once abused children. Let's put it that way, because not all abused children become child abusers, but almost all child abusers were once abused children. Evil turns its victims into itself. What we're dealing with in this country is trauma. And when the left always says to us, we need a conversation about race, what they mean is they're going to browbeat us and tell us that we all have to be leftists in order to solve these problems, which is nonsense. But what the real conversation should be is how do you get over trauma? We had a trauma. I, I get it. It's, it's a real thing. We had a trauma. Giving people property is not going to get make that go away. Giving people money is not going to go away. People who are traumatized repeat the trauma over and over again. That is what happens to people who are traumatized. If you were traumatized by a, a mean mother, you're going to go out and find mean women. If you were traumatized by an abusive father, you're going to go out and find abusive men. People who are traumatized do the same thing over and over again. And that's the conversation about race we should be having, having in our crappy culture. Can we see the crappy culture thing again? <laughs> oh. All right, thank you. I'm sorry. I just love that stuff. All right, but remember, please, with all the trauma, with all the stuff that's in the news, the stuff that doesn't get in the news is that people are out there helping each other in Texas and everywhere else, everywhere else where there are police officers, black police officers protecting white, uh, you know, supremacist uh, protesters, where there are white police police officers protecting Black Lives Matter. This is happening all the time. These are the majority of the people. And these that is the people that we are, both on the left and the right, remember, you know, doing these things that are the good things that keep the world running every day. And we need to remember it because they are selling us hatred of one another. And when guys like uh, Jim Mathis, Mattis are out there and those troops are out there defending us, he's right. We owe it to one another to remember that we are not enemies, but friends. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show. We have Steve Crowder coming on. Yeah. on all right. <laughs> that should be that should be interesting. Get to pad the room, please. We'll pad the room so he doesn't hurt himself. And we'll see you then. Uh, be here. Be here. Oh, 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 oh,